question, moms, do they matter on this Mother's Day? And there at the top of your notes, uh, there's a lot of answers to that. There's a lot of questions. You might be thinking, well, this is irrelevant to me because I'm a man or because, but, but if you're a man, you had a mother and it's a good thing to be reminded of that and to reflect on the impact of that. You may be single, you may be married without children and is this relevant? But we, as we're going to see in this message, we can all be spiritual mothers and fathers. In fact, we have an obligation to do that according to the gospel. But more than ever, is it politically incorrect to be a mom? I mean, I would never have guessed we'd be at a point where even the government is calling women birthing persons, okay? Is motherhood outdated? Is it, is it irrelevant? Um, and it, it's, just, it, it, it's just amazing uh, what is going on and how that deconstructs the concept of motherhood. And then maybe, and I want to really speak to you moms, maybe you just feel personally inadequate wherever you are in this stage. Maybe just entering into it. We have young moms. Maybe you're in the midst of it. Maybe you're empty nesters and you're looking back and you're feeling inadequate. Maybe you feel overloaded, overwhelmed, insufficient, inadequate, underappreciated. Maybe you're saying, all of the above right here. I can relate, okay? And maybe you're an empty nest mom where you're kind of feeling alone and you're kind of wondering and having regrets and thinking, did I do what I all that I could have done? But here's the thing. Our lost culture has all sorts of opinions that they share on social media, that they share through our entertainment that we watch, that we listen to. They have all sorts of answers to that. But I want to give you a God-revealed answer to that, and is this. Moms matter because they should be and are on a mission for God. You, as a mom, are on a mission for God, whether you know it, whether you accept it, That is why God created mothers. You are powerfully influential as a mother. And let me just tell you right up front, that doesn't end when they leave the home. It ends when you, it doesn't even end when you die. You are still influencing. Think about your parents who may be gone like mine are. And yet they still, there, there hardly goes by a, a week or a month that I don't think about my parents, okay? It's powerfully influential, okay? Now, here's what I want you to do. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn to Philippians, Philipp, Philippians 2, verse 19. Philippians 2, verse 19. And we're going to look at the life of Timothy uh, as a model of a person who was powerfully influenced by his mother. And we see the kind of man that Timothy was in Philippians 2, 19 through 22. So follow along in your Bibles. Here's Paul talking. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. Now, here's why, Philippians, I want to send Timothy. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. 
For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven worth that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Ladies, there is the mission of a mother. Raise your children to be disciples with gospel integrity and gospel influence like Timothy. There's the product of a mom on a mission, okay? And notice what he says about Timothy. I'm just going to boil the mission down into two basic ideas. Proven character and a Christ-like purpose. Proven character and a Christ-like purpose. He had proven character. He says he was genuine. He was sincere. Timothy was the real deal from the inside out. And his Christ-like purpose, he served others to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's all. That's what Paul says. And I don't think Paul could have given anyone higher praise. And he says, this is my kindred spirit. This is my equal. His heart beats with my passion. Now, how did Timothy reach this level of integrity and influence? That's the question. So now turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 16. So there's the, there's the goal. Begin with the end in mind. Gospel character, Christ-like purpose, okay? Proven character, Christ-like purpose. But here's how he got there. Look at Acts 16, 1 through 3. Here's our first introduction to the person of Timothy. Acts 16, verse 1. Paul is on his second missionary journey. He's already been through Timothy's hometown before. He's returning, and here's what happens. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy. And for, sadly, my New American Standard omits the behold. And I always tell you, the behold is important. Literally reads, and behold, a disciple was there. And that indicates God is doing a work and has done a work. Behold, a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek, likely an unbeliever. And he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. He had a reputation that spread beyond his home to the surrounding cities. And Paul wanted this man to go with him, with him, a, a, a phrase of discipleship and mentoring. And he took him and he circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts, for they all knew that his father was Greek, meaning they would consider Timothy unclean and unworthy of uh, connecting, and therefore the gospel would be hindered. But here are two powerful influences. Here's what I want you to see. First of all, he had the godly influence of a spiritual father in the faith like Paul. Paul took Timothy under his wing. You could say that in Acts 16, 1 through 3, spiritually Paul adopts Timothy as his true son in the faith. Notice in 1 Corinthians 4, 17, Paul says, for this reason, I have sent to you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord 
and he will remind you of my ways, which are in Christ Jesus just as I teach everywhere in every church. He's like, I've reproduced myself in Timothy. And instead of, and since I can't make it there, I'm going to send Timothy. And he's my beloved true child. And he will model and imitate, he has imitated me as I imitate Christ. Now, as far as we know, Paul never married and Paul never had children. And yet, he repeatedly calls Timothy his beloved child. In 1 Timothy 1-2, in fact, he addresses his last two inspired letters to Timothy, as well as one to Titus. And they begin like this, 1 Timothy 1-2, to Timothy, my true child in the faith. 2 Timothy 1-2, to Timothy, my beloved son. And then Titus 1-4, to Titus, my true child in a common faith. Paul, though he was single and never married, had spiritual children in which he invested, in which he loved. Never, never, never underestimate your influence as a spiritual father and a spiritual mother, regardless of whether you have physical children. I can tell you men in this church who influenced me. I had a man who taught me, and I've told this many times for some of you, how to hug as a man. And my dad didn't do that. But that man from this church did. And every time he visited me while I was in school, we'd always hug out in the parking lot. And I'm like, no one's looking. But forms you, impacts you, shapes you. And you can do that and should be doing that. He adopted them by evangelism and or discipleship. But the other godly influence we have in Acts 16 is profound. It's the godly influence of a physical mother in the faith like Eunice. An unfortunate name, perhaps, unless you're a Eunice here. I don't want to offend anybody. But uh, Eunice and Lois. My mom was named Lois Jean. She went by Jean. Okay, But Eunice and Lois are the two women here. But his mother... Physical. Now, in 2 Timothy 1.5, and I believe I have that in your notes. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that is in you as well. And then on in 2 Timothy, he says it again to Timothy. And remember, he's writing his last words to Timothy. Isn't it interesting that as Paul writes his last words to Timothy, he's pointing Timothy back to the legacy and influence of a godly mother and a godly grandmother. Very interesting. Very interesting. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have, you have known the sacred scriptures. The scriptures were handed down in Timothy's family like they were a baton. Grandmother Lois handed it to her daughter Eunice, and she handed the baton of the Bible on to Timothy, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Now, at this point, I'm very aware that moms especially, but all of us may be thinking, 
Who is sufficient for these things? Remember when Paul would exalt the role of ministry, then he would say, and then he would back off and it's like he knew. Who is sufficient for these things? Well, let me tell you, who is sufficient for these things? Not the new convert. Well, of course we would think that, but guess what? Not the mature believer either. Not the woman who works out of the home and strapped for time. We would say that. But neither the homeschool mom who stays and is just like totally focused on their kids. The point is this. There's many paths are possible to raising our kids. But what is needed and what is necessary and what is non-negotiable is a genuine faith. An active faith. A sincere faith in the gospel, which means not I, but Christ in me. It's the life I live, he lives in me by faith in him. This is how you're going to do it. This is how we do everything in the Christian life. Amen? Everything in the Christian life, the answer is, I am not sufficient, but he is. And so we don't lower the biblical standard to where we can feel comfortable, we embrace the physical standard and then ask God by His grace to raise us up and to work us through work through us to accomplish His purposes. All right? Are we set? Is that beautiful? Now, mom's on a mission for God. I want to show you from the life of Timothy three priorities. Three priorities, and we all need to be listening because these are really the priorities of the Christian life, okay, on discipleship and evangelism and missions. So here it is. Number one, intentionally, intentionally, and I italicize that because it doesn't happen by accident, folks. Intentionally pass on a respect for the Scriptures. Intentionally pass on a respect for for the scriptures. Turn your Bibles to 2 Timothy 3. 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17. I find it fascinating in 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17. 2 Timothy, this passage is one of the most crucial passages in all the Bible. As you study through the Bible and think through your theology and Christian theology, you're going to have five, maybe a dozen key passages. But I'm telling you, this is one of the most important, one of the top three. And isn't it fascinating when he gets into a passage that teaches the inerrancy, the sufficiency, the necessity, and all the authority of Scripture, he begins in the home and he begins with the godly influence of a godly mother and a godly grandmother. Isn't that fascinating? Look at verse 14. He says, and by the way, chapter 3, verses 1 through 9 begin, we live in dangerous times. These are the end times that we live in. And then he lists a, a description of the crazy world we live in. Okay, And he was describing his world. It's our world. It's only going to get worse. And yet in the midst of us, there is gospel hope as he says, follow me. Verse 10, if you look at verses 10 through 13, he's talking about following him as a spiritual father. 
But then in verse 14, he says, You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you've learned, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture, here's the baton that was passed to you. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. And that word training is disciple-making or literally uh, the aspect of spiritual parenting in righteousness. Why? So that the man of God and the woman of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. Here's what I want you to see. Godliness is not hereditary. It's not in the genes. It's in godly parenting. It needs to be taught in the home. It needs to be taught in the home. Respect for the scriptures begins in the home. And here's four things to be teaching your kids. Number one, respect for the scriptures is a result. Oh, and and let me say that. I'm sorry. I I should have said this. When you think about verses 14 to 17, the progression is from the home to the heart of Timothy and to the hands going to work for God. There's home, there's heart, and there's hands in that progression. So here's the four things you want to teach. Number one, the power of the scriptures to save us. The power of the scriptures. I'll read it in the NLT again. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood. Taught, taught, taught. And they have given you, they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting Christ Jesus. So here's a little, here's some application I want to give you. The first thing we see in that verse, verse 15, there is one power to save and it's the gospel seed. So plant it. Sow it, plant it, fertilize it, keep watering it, and keep praying over it. Are you with me on this? Plant the seed. Plant the seed. Right there, brother. It's the best seed in the house. We saved it for you. Power, the gospel seed. Notice what it says in this verse. Listen to me. It says in this verse that it's the scriptures that make you wise. It's not us it's not you. The, the, the pressure's off. It's not on you to bring your child to salvation. It's the scriptures. But it's your responsibility to sow it, plant it, fertilize it, water it, and pray it. So there's one power, the gospel seed. But let me give you two prayers. Two prayers. The first prayer is pray for deep roots. And the second prayer is for much fruit. Deep roots and much fruit. And I, 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 I used to pray... Uh, say your first prayer is salvation at an early age. I, I have changed in that. I would not tell you that. I would say it this way. Deep roots, number one prayer, that the gospel takes root at an early age. Why? Because it's the scriptures that make them wise unto salvation. And we're not called to be uh, decision making. We're called to be disciple making. Okay, that's our calling, not decision-making. Too easily is our goal is to get them saved, make a decision at an early age, and then we kind of cross that off our list and move on to other things. And that's not the goal. The goal is gospel roots that take deep root because we're not called 
to decision-making, but disciple-making. And that's why the much fruit comes in. Pray that the gospel bears fruit for life and for eternity. Notice the goal of verse 15 is the rest of the verses down to verse 17. The goal is not merely be wise unto salvation and make a decision. The goal is to be a disciple that allows the Word of God to reprove, correct, instruct, and exhort. And the ultimate goal is that regardless of their vocation, their career in life, is that they be a faithful and fruitful servant of God. Verse 17. Home, their heart, and their hands at work for God. This is powerful stuff. Now, and we know it's not easy. That's why we pray. And that's why we rely on the power of the word. An exasperated mother whose son was always getting into trouble finally asked him, How do you expect to get into heaven? And the boy thought it over and said, Well, I'll just run in and out and in and out and keep slamming the door until St. Peter says, For heaven's sakes, Jimmy, come in or stay out. Okay? Now, we can easily... Pass on to our kids the mindset that you got to work for your salvation. That it's what you do. And you need, or, what's, or it, what's, what's just as bad, that you make this decision. And then when you make this decision, all will be well. But the actual goal is disciple making as laid out in these verses. That's the first thing, the power of the scriptures to save us. And we've already talked about the second, the prophet of the scriptures to sanctify us. Many of your translations say all scripture is God-breathed and profitable. And so we want to teach our kids the prophet of the scriptures to sanctify them. I like how the NLT paraphrases translates this. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives, to straighten us out, and to teach us to do what is right. All four aspects of parenting. I mean, that's parenting. That's parenting in a nutshell. I mean, you're doing those four things for 18 years in our culture, right? Now, here's the thing. You say, well, what, what, how should I be thinking about this? The worst thing you can say as a parent is when you tell your kid to do something and they say why, what's the worst thing to say? Because I said so. But what's the worst Christian thing to say? Because God says so. The idea of this verse and what I just read is the answer to why do we do this? Why do we not do this? Why do we do this when everybody, no one else is doing this? And why do we not do this when everyone else is doing this? We want to say not because God says so. We want to say, here's what God says, and here's why he says it, and here's why it is good for us. Here's what God says, here's why he says it, and here's why it's good for us. Because ultimately, we have a God who is not a big rule giver, but he's a gracious heavenly father who has instruction for our good. So the, the power of the scriptures to save, the profit of the scriptures to sanctify. Third, the purpose of the scriptures 
is to prepare us to serve God and others. To prepare us to serve God and others. So again, uh, American culture obsesses, and I, I get it. I, I, I'm always talking to my daughter all the way through, talking about career, talking about how to set herself up for life. We do that. We know that. But it's not about secular career as much as it is how to be a faithful and fruitful servant of God, that the man of God may be fully equipped for every good work. We need to put as much time and more time into that. And then finally, number four, the person of the scriptures. This gets overlooked. The person of the scriptures who is the sovereign savior. And he's not a generic God, G-O-D. He is God the Father. He is God the Son. He is God the Spirit. You say, Chris, where is that in this passage? If we put on our Trinitarian glasses, we see it in this passage. Because who is the one that provided the scriptures? According to the passage. God. Because it's God breathed, right? And who are we to be a man or woman of in this passage? God. And yet... God's scriptures that he gives are make us wise unto salvation, which is through who in this passage? Who? The Son, Christ Jesus. And yet even in the God-breathed, where's the Holy Spirit? Well, in the God-breathing, that is the Spirit, the breath of God. The same Hebrew word for breath is spirit, ruach. The Spirit of God is what inspires the scriptures, is what convicts us of going wrong, and what convicts us of making it right, and what shows us what the Scriptures, and the Spirit is the one who makes us wise unto salvation through the Scriptures. So it's the person of God. So we're not here just to download information. We want to see our kids transformed by a relationship with the triune God who is Father, Son, and Spirit. That changes how you think and how you disciple your kids. Now, let's talk a little. And so, so let me say this then. The goal is not churchgoers, but God lovers. And the goal isn't pew sitters. But the goal is people servers. That's what comes out of this verse. But let me talk about a couple of reminders and regrets. First of all, it's never too early to start. Here's a reminder. It's never too early to start. And I don't want to spend a lot of time here, but we need to ask. He says in verse 14 that you have learned them from childhood. Now, what's interesting is you say, well, how early? What's childhood? Do you realize this same word for childhood is used in Luke 2.12? This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. In other words, this word can cover the newborn infant. So, good thing Sylvie's right here hearing this stuff because she needs it. Now, childhood. But do you know what's even more interesting is that in Luke 141 and in Luke 144, the same word is used for what our culture calls the embryo in the womb, that John the Baptist, while in the womb, I mean, you, you, you want a passage that teaches that the, the, the child, the 
the child in the womb is a child and a human person. You go to this passage. The Holy Spirit is filling John as an embryo in the womb, and he's leaping for joy at the news of Jesus' conception. Wow! That is heavy-duty stuff. But that's how early. And yet, 1 Peter 2.2, 2, you say, well, I'm not having any babies anytime soon or ever again. Okay, 1 Peter 2.2. 2, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. So start the, the whole bottom line is starter. Okay, used to be when uh, maybe in the 90s, 80s. Remember how many people remember the Mozart effect, you know, and everybody was playing Mozart music, you know, and everything. Well, forget the Mozart effect. Talk about the mom and dad effect of praying over uh, praying over your children, teaching your children from an early age. The first two years are tremendously impactful moms. And by five or seven, the cement is already beginning to dry. Now, two things I would do differently, because I'm on this side of it. One, I would do more teaching at an early age versus just reading. Oh, it's so fun when they're that age. I mean, that's why you long for grandkids, so you can go back to that time where you're just nestled up and you're reading, and they just love it, and they repeat it, and they love it. And that's great, but I would be teaching more at an early age. And therefore, the second thing I would do would be to catechize. I would use a simple catechism, and I would begin at an early age teaching and applying the scriptures at an early, early age. So that is imprinted at a time when they can remember. I mean, we do so good on teaching our kids to say thank you and please. What about saying scripture? and answering theological questions. And then one thing that every parent must deal with, and we were just on the tail end of it, and I thank God that we were, but now you're in it, is smartphones and social media. You need to start now. You need to think now and push, push, push against the culture in this area. Push, push, push. And a book, uh, several books by Tony Rinky. I call him Rinky. That may be offensive i don't know what it is todd do you know what it is rinky i say rinky rinky tony rinky he's got great books on smartphones and what they do to you okay good for you as well as preparing for your child okay secondly i want to say this it's never too late it's never too late to start so let me give you uh how many i got here six things to do and here they are read it to them so they can hear it Read it to them. It's fun, as I've said, when they're young. It's easy and fun. But plan now, plan now for the preteen years. You got to plan. You got to plan when it's hard. Enjoy the fun part, but plan for the hard part while you're enjoying the fun part. All right? Because it's going to happen. Number two, buy it for them so they can read it. Man, there's so many great resources. We were at T4G, and, and Dane was just, you know, wiping them out, buying this and that. And there's just great resources, little ones, big ones, great ones. But prepare for the next stage. Prepare for the next stage. And I would challenge you with this, and this is just me. You can dismiss it for what it is, uh, whether you want it or not. But I would challenge you to get out of the baby Bible books as quickly as possible and into an actual Bible just because they can handle it, okay? They, they can handle it. I'm not saying don't do that. I'm just saying think again about the next stages, okay? 
Number three, chew it for them so they can study it. Don't just read to them and don't just look at the pictures, but begin to break down what truths. Chew it on them, break it down, you know, just like some mothers would do in other cultures. They would chew the food, break it down, and then put it in their mouth. We just buy baby food. I get that, but it's the idea. Number four, review it with them so they can memorize it. Don't just rely on a wanna to have your kids memorize. You memorize with your kids. Number five, discuss it with them so they can meditate on it. Discuss it with them. This is right out of Deuteronomy 6. As you're going on the way, okay? For me, when we were early on, I would uh, get there in bed with Amber. we just lay there and we'd talk at night, put in her to bed. I remember Jerry talking to Jerry one time. He said with the teen girls, one in particular, that uh, they talked in the car. The car was a good thing because they were riding. They were both looking out the window. Therefore, there was not. Right? Am I right, Jerry? I never forgot that, Jerry. And I'm like, okay, that's a, that's a wise man. I'm going to listen to that. Look for ways to talk and to disciple. And then number four, apply it before them so they can apply it. That's the number one thing. This is the greatest proof that you respect the Bible, that you apply it in front of your kids. Remember, I don't care if you're an empty nester. I don't care if you have kids or not have kids or if you're single. I guess I care about all those things. My point is, you can be a spiritual parent and you can disciple another young person or someone your age in these very same things. Okay? And then as far as regrets, I would say this. Don't live with regrets. We all have them. If you don't have them, then you haven't tried anything and you haven't lived long enough. We all have them, but don't live with regrets. Live in a lifestyle of repentance. Repent and move on because you can still impact grown kids and grandkids. Now, when you do this, you'll do number two intentionally Pass on an authentic faith. Intentionally pass on an authentic or a sincere or a genuine faith. It not only needs to be taught in the home, it needs to be caught in the home. Okay? It's not just you teaching, it's them seeing you live it. And here's the thing. Eunice was not just a mother, she was a model. Doesn't take anything to be a mom. Except you know what needs to take place. Anybody can be a mom that's a woman, and it happens. But she was more than a mom. She was a model. And she knew it was not enough to read a scroll and go to synagogue on a weekly basis. Timothy needed to see a lived faith in the home 24-7, all areas of life. And you know why Eunice knew that? Because her mother, Lois, lived it in front of her. And therefore, she lived it in front of Timothy. Paul knew this. I'm not even sure Paul, uh, Timothy's grandmother, was alive. But I think their life echoed. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice. And I am sure that is in you. Why? Because he professed the faith? Or was it because Timothy lived it? Because he had seen it modeled in the home. Okay, that's the idea. Now here's the second point. No one knows better than a child whether a parent's faith is genuine. No one knows better 
than a child whether a parent's faith is genuine. Kids can't help but be genuine, and they can't help but see genuine faith. A four-year-old son came screaming out of the bathroom to tell his mom he had dropped his toothbrush in a toilet. Okay, that's really pretty regular mom routine there. So mom fished it out of the toilet and threw it out. Her son watched her do it, thought about it for a moment, and then ran back to the bathroom and came out with mom's toothbrush, held it up, and with a big smile said, we better throw this one out too because it fell in the toilet two days ago. Okay. So that kids can't help but model what they see. He says in 2 Timothy 3.14, You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you learned them. You saw it. You saw it change their life. You saw it shape their values. You saw how it made the direction of your family go. Now, we can come here, and we can hear this, and we can sing, and then we can go home and live like the devil, and it will be reflected in our children. The biggest hindrance to your kid's godliness won't be the culture, it's hypocrisy in the home. And the biggest hope for your kid's godliness is not just the church, it's integrity in the home. Now, let me back off of that and say this. That doesn't mean godly parents equals godly kids. The Bible and life remind us that even the godliest parents can still have prodigals, and it hurts deeply. And God knows, and God cares, and God sees, and God will sustain you. And your prayers can reach the farthest prodigal. And that's why God gives us the story of the prodigal son, to show the heart of the father for the prodigal. And that can be our heart. And we walk with you in prayer through those difficult times. But it also doesn't mean that if your kids grow up godly, it's because you did it right. And now you get to take the credit and tell everyone else how to do it right like you did it right. Okay? Because after all, look at what we did. Okay? No. So... Now, if they grow up, if our kids grow up to be godly, it's for one reason and one reason alone. And what is it? It's the grace of God. It's the grace of God. Now, you might be saying, well, I don't get it. Does what I do matter? Is it God's grace or is it my godliness? And my answer would be yes. Yes. It's both. God's grace uses means, but ultimately it's on God. Here's my point. However your kids turn out, never let it be because you didn't try. And more importantly, never stop living for God no matter how they are living. In fact, Todd and I, were, we both saw on social media this past week where someone made this statement, and I've already seen it even in our ministry, and that is the great danger in the years to come is for older Christians to compromise their beliefs to maintain a relationship with prodigal kids. To make, because the divide is so big. The worldviews are so far apart. But, beloved, listen to me. You're prodigal your kids no matter what areas they're thinking differently they need a lighthouse and a safe harbor to come back to how can they repent 
and return to the Lord, if you're standing right there with them in the muck and the mire and thinking like they do to capitulate to have a relationship. Instead, you love them, you accept them as they are, but like God, you remain, and like the prodigal father, you remain at your duties with an eye on the horizon and a heart longing for their return, but you don't compromise to maintain that relationship. And, of course, one of the big responses to this is, I don't have time for all this, right? Time crunch is a real deal. But let me give you some encouraging examples. Susanna Wesley, the mother of Charles and John Wesley, sat in the middle of their room with her apron over her head with 11 kids running around her to do her devotions. I mean, that's her quiet time. I don't know how that worked, but that's what she did, okay? I remember we were on a discipleship campaign in Oregon, and a woman would hide out in the bathroom to do her devotions, to uh, get time away from her kids. Uh, I think about Cindy Bowman here in our own church, whose kids are, uh, some of her grandkids are in other states or in other places, and I, I've talked to her, and she texts them every day, Scripture, and they actually text back and have questions and talk about it. And, and, and there, there, where there's a will, there's a way. And God will show you that way. And when he does, you will, number three, you will intentionally pass on a passion for sacrificial service. Intentionally pass on a passion for sacrificial service. All that time with Timothy... Grandma and mom resulted in Acts 16.3 where it needs to be sent into the world. Listen, all of this is not so our kids stay at home and nurture and, and take care of us. It's to send them out in the world. And Timothy went on mission with Paul. And the first thing I want you to see, he eagerly accepted Paul's invitation. Paul said, I want you to go with me. And Timothy said, I'm right there. And yet, think about what this meant. Think about what this meant. He already knew what it meant to be a fully devoted disciple. Jesus tells us, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And that's what Timothy did. Look at it. Number one, Timothy knew it meant deny self for the commission. Deny self for the commission. How would you like someone to say, uh, come up to you and say, hey, I want you to go on mission with me. And you say yes, and they say, okay, first thing, we need to circumcise you. I mean, that's the first thing. That was his welcome to ministry. He took one for the team, and he didn't hesitate. Why? Because he knew what commitment and sacrifice was because he saw it in his mom and his grandma. Number two, he knew it meant to take up your cross. You got to understand, you know what happened to Paul on the first missionary journey in Lystra and Derby? He was stoned, carried out to the city limits and left for dead. Timothy had watched that. I mean, you know, you don't recover from stoning overnight and you're scarred for life. I mean, here's this guy, short, uh, hawk nose, they said, and he's, he's, his body's broken. And he says, Timothy, come with me. It's going to be great. And Timothy says, I'm all in. I'm all in. Why? 
Why? Because he saw a mom and a grandma that made sacrifices to come to church when it's rainy, come to church when it's snowy, come to church when they don't feel like it or they just had surgery on their knees and they're hurting right now as they're listening. I get it. But it's those little examples that can have reverberations for a lifetime. And then number three, he knew it meant to follow Christ wherever he led. Roots and rings. I already said pray for deep roots, but those deep roots need to spread and they need to sprout wings. And Timothy followed Christ. Followed Christ. Now, uh, Gwen and I, our favorite daughter, just bought her own ticket to fly to Hungary, to teach art and English in a bilingual school in Hungary. And we keep telling her there are plenty of needy schools right here in Kansas City. I'm joking. Uh, that's what it is. It's roots and wings. It's, it's sending, sending them out. And then number two, Timothy had been equipped in advance, equipped in advance for ministry long before Paul arrived. Now, here's the thing. Eunice was a mom on mission for God. And I want to end with these two things. She passed on what she first possessed in her own life. Listen, you can't pass on what you don't possess, okay? And Paul says, your mom had it, possessed it, your grandma possessed it, and I believe you possess it. And then number two... She did all these things, ladies, with no encouragement from her husband. No encouragement from her husband. Why do I say that? He was an unbeliever. He was an unbeliever. But his father was a Greek. Listen, Timothy's mom had no encouragement. Today's moms have no excuse. We have far more encouragement and far more tools. So let me end with this. Lou Ann Lyons, the mother or the, the, the wife of Greg Lyons, mother of her kids, posted this on Facebook today, and I, I want to end with that. And here's the picture that she posted. She posted this picture, and here's what she said. This is the place. My precious mother sat here every day for years. It is here that she not only read but studied the Word of God. Then she lived out a godly life every day. This is the scripture her Bible was open to on the last day she read. The last day, it's highlighted, Psalm 103, verse 17. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him and his righteousness unto his children's children. Luann ends, amen and amen. Miss you every day, mom. I say, may her tribe increase. Amen? Let's pray. Father, grant mercy and grant righteousness to extend to the generations. And if there are regrets, let us repent. And let us not lose sight, as the devil so much would like us, to think that a prodigal is too far, so lost they can't be found, so sinful they can't be saved or to think that our influence as a grandparent or as a spiritual father or a spiritual mother doesn't make a difference oh god plant deep roots so that they bear much fruit in jesus name amen Amen. bless you moms especially 